0: Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Paul Norton podcast. Now, today's episode is a really special episode and I've been wanting to speak to this lady for so, so long. And as you know, like female health is very important to me. It's something that we need to speak about like more and more. So to be able to talk to this guest today who is a TED speaker and her knowledge around female health fertility is unbelievable today i'm joined by jessica Burke, who is utterly known as the fertility detective on instagram this podcast is going to blow your mind and i'm really hoping to get around again so as always if you like this podcast if it's been good please share it like it and i hope you enjoy so i guess yeah first of all um, thank you for coming on like it's i've i think I've, i think i've missed you like months ago to come on and yeah. it's definitely a pleasure. so I suppose rather than me um, say who you are be good if you can introduce yourself and who you are and what you do.
1: Sure no problem thanks for having me yes and I think when you messaged me it must have been the summer because was one is doing one of my many power walks down the pier yes. in the sunshine. <laughs> so yes, shows you how long it takes to get things organized. Um, but thank you for having me on. Um, and by way of introduction to everyone who might be listening, uh, my name is Jessica Burke, aka the Fertility Detective, um, as you'll find on Instagram. And my passion is all things fertility related. I've been working in the industry for the past 16 years, helping people to get pregnant and stay pregnant. Um, so whether it be unexplained infertility, recurrent miscarriage anything on that sphere, um, including gynecological conditions, all of it is within wheelhouse. It's
0: amazing. And you've done a TED talk, didn't you?
1: I did, yeah, in 2019. So gosh, it's been a couple of years. It's really weird, actually, how warped time is since <laughs> COVID. You know, I'm very often saying, oh, you know, that was a few months ago. And I'm like, no, Jessica, that was a year ago. So, so yeah, it was 2019 and um, uh, it was basically, something I've been thinking about for a number of years, actually, you know, when you're lying in bed at night and you have those thoughts like we all do, where you're like writing stuff down. And I just continually had this vision of like, I need to get up and speak about this. Um, And so it wasn't, you know, I wasn't sort of curing cancer or anything. I know there's some amazing TED talks out there where you were watching at the end, like, oh my God, that's incredible. But I was really just trying to bring attention um, to the taboo, the bias, the stigma that exists around fertility issues. How miscarriage is treated because that's a huge issue uh, still, and um, and changing the education about it and how people interpret and view it. You know, I still see. In fact, I was speaking to a couple about this the other day. This idea that if you need help with fertility, that there's something wrong with you or that it's going against nature. You know, I've actually heard people say that. In fact, at a couple. Few years back, because um, I remember they were sitting in front of me. Now it's all over Zoom, and uh, he he got defence. He kind of you know uh, folded his arms and hunched his shoulders, and and he said, you know, I just don't think it's right uh, that you'd proceed with IVF. And I put it to him. I said, well, fair enough, okay. Uh, and now this is in a situation where his partner she had blocked fallopian tubes. so really it was the only option. Um, and I said, well, if you were told that you needed an operation on your heart. In order that you wouldn't have a heart attack would you take it and he said yeah of course i'm like so what's the difference man <laughs> it's like that's saving your life this is creating a life let's all get over it you know we've got you know inc- extraordinary things we have got 3d printing of, of organs we've got you know all these advances in all areas of medicine but for some reason giving somebody a helping hand when it comes to having a baby because we're all I suppose it's a societal thing, isn't it? We're all hardwired to think, oh, but sure, it's the most natural thing in the world, you know, having a baby. So if you need help, there's something wrong, and that's just not true. (laughs) So yeah, that's definitely something that uh, needs to improve.
0: I guess I guess this must sound really like daft. Like, what does IVF stand for?
1: It's a great question. As I'm always saying to people, no such thing as a silly question. (laughs) So never chastise yourself for it. Uh, IVF, in in vitro fertilization. So basically, as opposed to in vivo, in vivo is inside, as in in life. In vitro just means in a petri dish, essentially. So you're just having the sperm meeting the egg in the petri dish and then the rest should follow. (laughs) So it develops in the petri dish until being monitored, obviously, by an embryologist until ideally day five can go to day six and at that point it should be transferred back in
0: amazing so so what what do you so what do you do do you help people like with like IVF do you help people like with kind of root causes like what do you mainly how do you help people get pregnant I guess uh
1: both so yeah so it's kind of a a long-winded one there my my skill set is so broad that uh, it was confusing trying to describe what I do for a while that's why I just came up with fertility detective because it kind of summarized like I get to the the cause I figure out the problem um but given you know I studied law first then I did acupuncture nutrition clinical medicine and that was a bit of a mouthful (laughs) so (laughs) I decided to leave that to one side but yeah I've done all things so obviously in the fact that I, you know, my training with law, I've helped, uh, like I remember dealing with a couple before who were dealing with a clinic who will obviously remain nameless um, who hadn't done right by them and had written a report. That was, as I said, the longest um, way of saying we're not sorry, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Or or a non-apology. So I was going through it and giving, I suppose, kind of um, my legal slash fertility take on it and saying, look, I think if you go back to them and say this, that you will get what you want because they will not want this to go legal. And sure enough, they did. And they got what they wanted. Uh, So I've kind of done that side of things. And the root cause is really looking at all the biochemistry. So it's about figuring out for that individual person, because of course you could have 20 people with PCOS, 20 people with endometriosis, doesn't matter. Um, they will by and large be treated in the same way if they're dealing with you know the allopathic model. But if you're looking at more the functional medicine model, it's about figuring out what's going on for the individual, because each of those individuals will have a completely different medical history, life history, stresses, things going on in their life that could play in to their health outcomes. So it's about figuring that out. And then it's because on the other side as well, I know about all the clinics and uh, in all the different countries. I've dealt with people in Australia, in America, uh, Dubai, Alaska, all over the world. So I know what's going on in the fertility clinics and I can advise people on what to expect, what kind of protocols are good, um, what are red flags to watch out for.
0: So good. Um, Actually funny, not funny, sorry, and um, this year alone since um this year alone um i've had 11 females like fall pregnant and then um, actually at the very start like last year probably listen now but i've had three females who were like they came to me and they were always struggling to kind of fall pregnant and once they came on board of me, like it was just crazy, maybe it's a coincidence, but like once you got on board of me, they kind of got their health in order. They start, you know, getting their food right, getting their sleep right, getting their stress Mm -hmm. down. Within like three or four months, like they fell pregnant. And these, these girls were, you know, these ladies were seen like um, fertility experts as well. And then Mm -hmm. from that, then I've had another like seven females and so dear fall pregnant. And again, maybe it could be a little coincidence, but What do you think is the connection between, you know, having, we just talked before, like having your health at the prime, like for all that stuff, it it makes a difference, does it?
1: None of that surprises me at all. (laughs) It makes perfect sense. Um, Because as I would always be saying to people, good overall health, generally speaking, plays into good fertility. And that makes sense. Because if you think of how nature works, how we've evolved, you know, as a species, we wouldn't have lasted very long if it were the case that uh, when our body was in ill health um, that we would get pregnant because nature wants to ensure that we can actually care for our offspring and that we'll live long enough (laughs) to take care of them. So if there's stuff going on in the background, the body's more inclined to go, "Mm, do you know what, we need to fix this first and then we'll worry about reproduction because otherwise things aren't going to flow very well. So what you just described there are simple things such as taking care of our circadian rhythm. our our day night time routine that we should have as we've evolved to have but of course we all mess with with our phones in our face at nighttime with the light and that can mess with our, our sleep patterns and that plays into the sleep hormone melatonin which in turn can affect egg quality the whole thing is connected um, and the flip side in that too is also our hormone balance so if people are that you're dealing with as clients are nourishing themselves well then their gut function is going to be better their hormone balance is going to be better and the whole thing is just becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy then
0: It's just, again, just keeping it simple, isn't it? Like a lot of people nowadays, I feel like overcomplicate everything. And as we were saying before, like just keeping it so simple, like just this so simple stuff, like good, nutritious food, sleep, like stress less, don't worry about other people, like less screen time. That has far more benefits than like all this other fan stuff, isn't it?
1: Yes. And what I'd say there is that it may be simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. (laughs) So, you know, yes, it's the simplest thing in the world. Just do this every single day. Be consistent. And when anyone asks me, if I just summarize in one word what the sort of the secret is uh, to probably fertility or anything in life, it's consistency. It's just the application of small little changes over time really does add up to a lot but that's boring <laughs> nobody wants to hear yes. that um, they want to hear uh you know the miracle pill or this that and the other and look don't get me wrong of course there's a place for that like that couple I described uh to you before we were on who um uh, this woman had blocked fallopian tubes and you know her partner wasn't too keen on the idea of IVF but if if you block fallopian tubes, yes, it can potentially be unblocked with surgery, but that doesn't always work. It can also make a person more prone to an ectopic pregnancy because of damage that might be left over within the tubes. So, in those cases, yeah, all the sleep in the world or a healthy diet or basics isn't going to fix that particular situation. But I think, yes, all too often people go straight to the you know, the big stuff first. Um, they go straight for IVF. They they go straight for the big technology stuff because it all sounds very fancy and wonderful. And, you know, you think, well, maybe this will be the solution. Um, but oftentimes it's not. It is about bringing it back down to first principles.
0: And how, I suppose, how important, because again, with female health, that's, I've got a big mm-hmm. passion for female health and there's just, there's just not enough information out there for females in general mm. but you'll notice like that you know when a female restricts their calories too much like their body has mm. to save energy and like the first thing that's going to stop is like i think like like the last two years they've seen that the increase in females losing their period or cycle has been mm. like it's just rising rising so like what effect does that have then When someone obviously the word is and i can't say it always gets me and um, you know, when you lose your period from restricting your food, what effect does that Oh, have sorry, effect?
1: amenorrhea. That's
0: mean. the one. I just can't <laughs> <Sorry. I cannot laughs> seem to stay. <laughs> no worries. It's and fine. Like, and it's on the rice. So, what effects does that have it on them, like falling pregnant?
1: huge absolutely massive so secondary amenorrhea is where your period stops at some point in your life but you did get it originally so that's very common whereas primary amenorrhea like where you never got your period that's much much rarer okay and that's usually speaking to more genetic problems or you know much bigger health issues that the period wouldn't start but secondary amenorrhea can happen as many i'm sure your listeners will know for a multitude of reasons your period can stop because of sudden shock or bereavement your period can stop because you're overtraining or eating too little um it can stop because of hormone imbalance in other areas uh, so not necessarily to do with you know eastern progesterone as the root cause but it might go back to adrenal or thyroid so it's actually extremely common but what you said there about the calories thing i have to say this is still rampant and it's really concerning I was actually having this conversation in the car this morning with my daughter on the way into school because she's concerned about she's 13 and she's worried about a friend of hers who is obsessing over her weight and you know I'm like at 13 I'm not eating enough you know so what her friend does is she doesn't eat and then when she does eat she just you know grabs whatever she can because of course her, her body is just crashing mm. and uh, she said to me which is one of those moments where you feel like, okay, I've done something right. She said, you know, I'm kind of happy mom that, you know, the way you always told me the stuff about food and eating. I'm kind of happy that you did because I know like how to eat. And as she goes in with her thermos full of, you know, home cooked food every day um, and would never think twice about eating, you know, this idea. Yes. And I think it, it really goes back. That I mean, so much historically, when you're talking about women and calories, it's, it's almost about, um, it actually plays into the bigger psyche of women in the workplace and in life that, you know, just shrink away until you are nothing. Apologize for your own existence. Don't speak up. And for goodness sake, don't take up space. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's all about I think it definitely runs very deep. And um, it's not just about aesthetics or this idea of how your clothes look on you. Um, but it's it's such a destructive one. It's a really insidious, destructive force and it's something which it's almost like a light bulb moment I think that women have you know when um, for those that I'm dealing with anyway when they start to think differently about how they're eating and understanding that it's about their bodies functioning properly you know I've dealt with many uh, different types of eating disorders over the years as you might imagine I remember one lady before who um yeah she had gone pretty far and uh, she was seeing uh, counseling uh, getting counseling support for it but having to have that conversation with her and explain that no there is we had a lengthy conversation about fats where it's like there's the myelin sheath that goes over your nerves there is the fat in your brain if you don't have these fats you die. <laughs> like It's that simple. And these fats are going to go to your brain and nerves before they're going to go to your thigh area, which is what you're concerned with. <laughs> you know, So um, it's a very insidious thing, like I said, but I think it, it is possible to beat. And I'm sure you've seen it with your clients. It's just, it's a slow process. You do need to be patient with people and help to break down and unlearn all the stuff that they had absorbed over the years
0: so true and i suppose that comes back to probably another topic is probably the pill which is something that you know i've I read um i don't know if you know laura bryden's book
1: Periodic yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's such a good yeah. book
0: and like I, that gave me such an insight in like the pill and what it actually does so i guess like from your point of view what like what is the pill and what does it do and then obviously if you've been on the pill for 16 20 years what effects that have on someone looking to fall pregnant
1: Great question, um, and I was actually yeah I'm, I'm like composing myself because like <laughs> there'd be a tirade of information now. <laughs> so there was a post I saw on Instagram the other day, and I actually had to uh, restrain myself because this was a doctor uh, posting saying that it's all nonsense what you've heard about the pill and depleting nutrients and I was like I was this close to saying well check out the post I did on this because it went viral with everyone sharing it because it was just kind of like a circle that I drew with all the nutrients depleted by the pill and um like this is in the clinical research so I'm not this isn't hearsay this isn't like it's right there printed in the research and I shared that research in the post um, and needless to say a lot of people were quite shocked when they read it which is no doubt why they shared it on because they're wondering well hang on a second why is this being recommended and if that is the case why aren't we simultaneously being told to take a multivitamin or improve our diet or be very conscious that this is what you are subscribing to when you take it now it's important to state of course there's the societal reasons for this you know of course um and it ain't easy you know it's not easy uh when you're someone with ovaries and you're worrying about oh god at a certain age i don't want to get pregnant um, and, you know, truth being that condoms do break and it's, it's not going to be 100% safe. So I can totally understand the taking of it. But in an ideal world, it would be a temporary measure if you're talking about for contraception. But very often and most tragically, I see it being used as a mask for those, for example, with PCOS. Oh, you've got troublesome periods. No problem. Just take the pill. We'll fix it. And to go to your question of what exactly it is, what we're talking about, there's different types of contraceptive pill, obviously different strengths, combined Eastern progesterone or progesterone only. Uh, Most people go combined because the symptoms with progesterone is more as you'd expect, bloating, uh, constipation because that's what more progesterone in your system would do. But the oestrogen, it's not estradiol. It is synthesized from the urine of pregnant mares. (laughs) That's that's Mm -hmm. where it's coming from. So, you know, we need to remind ourselves that it is still synthetic hormone. And for some who might be more sensitive, you know, I've seen so many over the years who tried different brands, And when they were put on one, they were told to kind of basically put up and shut up with the fact that they had all these symptoms coming when they started the pill. So they were gaining weight. Their mood was all over the place. Their skin changed. And on the flip side, for those who they find it very beneficial, then they're going to be kind of, I suppose, coasting along thinking that, oh, this is great. This is the best thing ever because it helped their symptoms. But it's still a mask. It's still just a patch-up job, and when you pull that back, you're going to see all the problems underneath the surface are still there. And that's where I think it's so disheartening for people, because, you know, I've seen people who've been exactly as you said, they're on the pill since they're teenagers up until they decide they want to start trying to conceive. Uh, so that could be 10, 15 years, potentially, in terms of time frame, and then when they come off it, they wonder why it isn't happening. And it can take a number of months for the period to, to kind of recalibrate, if at all, <laughs> because if they have problems beforehand, the problems are likely to still be there. And then back to the idea of the nutrient depletion, and um, because it is a medication, which, of course, we know you're told take it at the same time every day. Why is that? Because the liver... Clears it out. The liver gets rid of it. So in order to do that, it has to chillate by nutrients to get it out of your system. So over time, yes, it does deplete nutrients. It's that simple. So it is very important to be minding your health. If you're taking it for reasons that you know, everyone has their r- right and um, personal reasons for taking it. But if you're taking it for contraception, just do know that it's worth preparing yourself uh, in terms of your nutrition and supplements if necessary uh, before you come off it to try to conceive.
0: Because what is the um what's the fertility um, method um the FMA isn't it or F F A M.
1: Yeah, so are you talking about f- a fertile method of awareness? Is, is yeah, that that's the one? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's basically becoming aware of your body's own signs so that you know when you're most fertile. Because you see, in a whole month, so take textbook twenty eight days as opposed to thirty day month, in a whole calendar month, you only have six days for your fertile. So that's five days and converse, you know, in contrast, to what a lot of people think it's five days before you ovulate and one day after. So if the sperm are knocking around in there waiting for ovulation to occur, that's what happens. Then you can get pregnant. So this idea of, Oh, you can't get pregnant unless you have ovulated and released the egg. No, if the sperm are there in advance, you could get pregnant, so that's great if you're trying to conceive. Uh, not so great if you're not trying. So the idea is that by becoming aware of your signs, you know that okay, well, if we stop having sex with on un- with no protection at around sort of once you figure out when you're ovulating, maybe day seven. And then start again, maybe day 18. Then we should be in the clear. You know, you're allowing for a window of time um, where you would use protection just to be on the safe side if that's someone who was trying not to conceive. Um, but of course, the, the opposite is the case too for fertility, where people use the same uh, methods of whether it be charting basal body temperature, looking at cervical mucus, all of that to try to gauge when they are fertile. Now, what I would say there is though, because I'm asked about this a lot, is that I wouldn't. Um, have complete confidence in that method. So if someone is really trying to get pregnant uh, as opposed to just avoiding it, if someone's really trying to get pregnant, I don't think it's enough and it can be quite misleading uh, to look only at the body temperatures and cervical mucus. Um, Even if they're using the ovulation predictor kits as well, because you can get false readings with luteinizing hormone surge the best that I found without question, although it is pricier is the follicle tracking scans for sure, because you can see it with, well, the sonographer's own eyes (laughs) that it's actually happening uh, versus kind of gauging it from symptoms.
0: So how do you, so how do you, I had a question actually for you is like, how do you, how do you test like your fertility? So before you're trying to conceive, how would you test your fertility?
1: Yeah so well a good sign before doing any tests is just how your period is you know if it, it's pretty that's why I posted on this recently and I'm, I'm trying to do it more posts solely on periods because it became abundantly clear after a recent post where I just kind of rattled out if your period is like this you might have this going on if your period is like that there might be that and, and people are like oh my god I never heard this before which just shows the lack of education so you know if your period is very um short in terms of gaps in days between menstrual bleeds. So if your period is roughly every, you know, 21 days, um, you might have issues there with getting pregnant simply because there isn't enough time with the hormones elevated for implantation to happen equally. If your cycle is like 40 days plus, there might also be issues because it's going to be very hard to figure out exactly when you're ovulating um, if your luteal phase there is, is so much longer. So look to the period first, look to your overall health first. Do you have any background health conditions going on? Obviously, if you already know, oh, I have PCOS. I was diagnosed with that as a teenager then you should already be aware of the possibility, not not the guarantee, I wouldn't want anyone to be freaking out about it, but the possibility that there might be issues there, and so it might be worth doing further investigation uh, sooner, as in beginning the testing process, or the same with um, endometriosis, or for someone who had particularly heavy painful periods, I'm talking about being incapacitated with your periods, where you must take painkillers, or you can't function, or you're vomiting or nauseous, that's not normal, Um, and so well, yes, people in any of those situations might still go on and get pregnant within a few months. You know, if you're thinking of trying to conceive and any of those situations apply, then that's when you might want to get tested sooner. But if your period is very regular, you're feeling good overall health, your partner, if applicable, is in good overall health, then you don't need to be jumping straight away to test. You know, definitely give yourself a few months of trying. But obviously, if your uh, age bracket is a little bit higher, um, I mean, they say obviously over 35 start to get checked after six months, um, which is reasonable. You know, if, if you want to, you know, fit in two or three kids within a certain time frame, I can see where that advice is coming from. But I should add that where, you know, the dips tend to occur, I don't really see it from 35 to 40. I don't think there's this cliff This invisible cliff that you fall off of once you turn 35, that happens more into our 40s from what I've seen. But it is reasonable advice to give to check after six months if you're only beginning your family. So at the six month mark, then that's when you can go to GP, get basic blood work done. So you're checking day three and 21 hormones, which basically means day three of your cycle could be day two or four. Standard would be FSH, LH, estradiol. They might throw in prolactin, thyroid hormones, testosterone, et cetera. And then day 21 is only based on if it's a 28 day cycle for your progesterone. So if your cycle's 30 days, you go on day 23. You know, uh, if your cycle is day 26, you go on day 19. And the idea is that you just get a picture of your hormones and uh, full blood counts and see what your um, nutrient levels are like. And if everything's looking good there, The tendency is for people to go look further at themselves. First, of course, you can do the follicle tracking scanning to see what am I ovulating? Is the lining good? All that. Now that can't tell you if your tubes are open, bear that in mind. But considering that's a bit more invasive um, in terms of internal investigation, I would say then go to look at the the partner. Check the sperm uh, and make sure to do a sperm DNA fragmentation test, not just a semen analysis so you can see the quality as well as the sperm count and motility and only at that point if the sperm is all good well then you should check are the tubes open (laughs) so all in all that can be a fairly quick process you know you can do that within the span of a few weeks
0: amazing that's a lot of stuff isn't it a lot of info (laughs) but I suppose if you had someone like that was trying to conceive like what would be your steps or advice like for someone that wants to conceive like you know let's say they're Let's say it's just an average person. And what are your advice would you say for them to start? To want to start, like in the mid-thirties. What advice would you give?
1: Give yourself the prep time. So very often people think of things like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, we're going to start trying. I'm going to start trying to conceive. You know, in December, and you know, my five-year plan. <laughs> I'll be pregnant in a few months, and then at the next one. Honestly. I mean if someone is in the boat where they've done this if you have in your life planned for a wedding or got married consider how much time prep you put into that okay i know plenty don't uh but it, it's just an example or indeed training for a marathon something like that like we we put a lot of prep into things um, that i would argue are less important <laughs> than creating a human life so we do need to change our mentality you know one thing i saw in the hospital i worked in in shanghai this is back when i was training uh, this is in two thousand and five, so it's a while ago. Um, and I remember seeing a couple that came in, and they were so young. And uh, you know, that was across the board. I saw that people looked a lot younger than their age. But they, in particular, were there to kind of, kind of get an MOT before trying to conceive. And I said, When are you thinking of getting pregnant? And they said, Oh, probably, you know, our work, maybe two years from now. And I was like, What? <laughs> because you'd never see that in Ireland never in a million years would you see people thinking of that that far in advance but it's a cultural thing so in China what i saw is that they're very much forward planners like for everything uh, maybe too uh, too far in a, deg- a degree but you could definitely see the benefits whereas here i think maybe we've taken on more of the american like instant fix you know instant satisfaction like like there's you know, uh, fashion is is turned over so quickly, I I feel like it's kind of similar. We expect things to happen very fast um, and instantaneous gratification. Um, And unfortunately, the human body doesn't really work that way. So if someone's trying and thinking of of conceiving over the, you know, in the near future, I'd say start for it and plan for it now. And that means simple stuff it means maybe don't go so crazy at the weekend ends anymore when you're out having fun maybe rein in the diet and start trying to rather than thinking what you're cutting out think of what you're including think of all your favorite fruits and vegetables and go okay i'm going to start including more of them or maybe there's a few new ones that i'll try uh, think about daily movement are you even getting out for a walk in the day or are you just glued to your computer simple stuff like that if you actually implement it um and do it consistently over the following months can make a big difference
0: that's so good and i suppose like if someone is like is there a link between let's say if someone is constantly eating processed foods they don't move much not in good health there maybe they might be you know obese like does that play an effect in falling pregnant part of someone who is let's say maybe healthier, eats fruits all that kind of stuff is there are any difference in that, really? Well,
1: there's two parts to that of what you said there, because um, there's kind of the first part, eating, you know, the rubbishy foods, not moving. And then there's, you know, BMI as a separate topic. And the reason why I bring that up is because, and I've seen this so often over the years, if, if it were tr- truly the case, certainly in my area. Now, I totally understand for, for your clients, what work you're doing, that's different and they may have different motivations. Um, but if it were the case that I only ever saw like all my clients over the years had an above average BMI, then I would come out and say, look, guys, this is what I have seen. Like, this is a fact that every single person I've seen is of a higher BMI. Therefore, that must be correlated with reduced fertility. But that is not the case. Far from it, actually. I would probably say, maybe 60% of people I'd see 60, 70% are just average BMI. Then you've got maybe your 10 to 15% of the much lower BMI and then some of the higher. So it's about looking deeper because of course, as we well know, um, I remember actually I had a friend like this years ago who said that she was disgusted. She She used to eat a lot of crappy food And then she said when she started to eat better, she kind of felt she was putting on weight more. And I was like, that's because you're actually absorbing nutrients. (laughs) You're actually functioning. Your gut is functioning now. Um, But so when you're talking about uh, the intake of poor, basically empty calories. okay? and in that situation, yes, a person can be legitimately hungry a few hours later, even if they've consumed 1500 calories in one meal. Because there's nothing there for the body. So the body's like, this isn't going to cut it. You're going to have to give us more. And that is what leads to this vicious circle that people find themselves in. Um, But the reason why it's just distinguishing between the two is because of the fact that we do as a society very much identify with the idea that if someone looks a certain way, then they are a certain way. And that plays into their health. You know, I had a woman actually last year who was like, a size eight, you know, very slim. And um, yet she developed gestational diabetes in her pregnancy. And she said, how can that be? How could I have gestational diabetes? And I said, because you're eating a ton of sugar. <laughs> it doesn't matter how you look. Just because your body is processing it differently or your hormones are treating it differently. Because remember, hormones, and as I'm sure you're aware, the leptin, ghrelin, all of that plays in to how your body chooses to store fat in the cells. Um, doesn't mean that the hormones aren't being affected or in particular that inflammatory processes aren't being kicked off which can affect egg quality and can affect then the you know the future fertility as well so I would say if you know and this is really important for anybody listening because I, I hate to see anybody beating themselves up you know I've seen so many out there who've been and I mean categorically told by a consultant, go off and lose weight don't want to talk to you until you lose weight. And then I go through their their test results and everything. I had one woman recently actually in that category. She has two children. So she said, I know. And she said, even my GP said to me, you're no heavier now than you were when you had your first two. So what's changed? It's not the BMI. And of course we went through her bloods. I could see it was, she was deficient in a number of things. So it wasn't actually That was the cause of BMI it was the underlying factors and that's what I think is really cruel when people are are left to feel like they are the problem like literally who they are is the problem like it's never about that it's always about the biochemistry Um, and the same thing for those uh, on the other hand who are average BMI or you know someone no one would be passing any comments about their weight they're often left completely confused because I've dealt with them. They're saying, you know, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I'm not overweight. They list out the typical things. So why isn't it working for me? And like, because it runs deeper than that. We have to look at the immune function, the blood clotting factors, we have to look at nutrient levels, genetic markers, anatomical issues. It's much more complex. So I think, yeah, the bottom line here is really don't judge a book by its cover.
0: That's <laughs> no, good. That's it's good. Because as you said, like, there's a lot of stigma around that. So it's good to have that clarity, isn't it? Like, it's yeah, definitely completely. good. But I suppose, like, good nu- nutrient-dense foods are beneficial, aren't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I suppose, like, with anything, you know, I, I would always, I'd rather the person... Who had the few extra kilos and, and was consuming all the good foods yeah. and maybe a bit extra. Do you know what I mean? And do you know what I mean? I'd rather that than someone, like some of my tougher cases have been the ones with very low BMI, um, because there might be more stress on the hormones because the body doesn't like that. You see, the body always wants to have something in reserve. <laughs> that's why, that's yeah. why it's harder <laughs> to lose weight. You know, when people say those last few pounds. That's why, because your body's like, no, I'm so sure I want to let go of this. <laughs> I want to keep it for a rainy day. Um, so so yes, it is so important, obviously, to have the nourishing foods 100 percent My point is that a person might be eating nourishing foods and still be a little bit overweight yeah. versus someone who might be eating a load of rubbish but just isn't putting on weight. So that the two don't necessarily correlate.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And that's that's one thing that I've really got like learned is like just like wholesome foods I, i'll just say before like your body's like a car isn't it if you put good mm-hmm. fuel in your car it's going to run like way better isn't it no matter how big the car is like or smaller car is the better fuel mm-hmm. is in the car it's going to run 10 times better than like a car that's on bad fuel isn't it or not so good food.
1: completely and it was interesting i, I watched a ted talk uh, a couple of years ago this professor i think it was a yale professor talking about uh diet and nutrition the world over And they had run their, you know, algorithms and checked. And he said, this is what I'm here to tell you today. And it was quite fascinating. He said, it's not whether you follow the keto or the paleo or the vegan or whatever. He said, it's whether you make the food yourself. That's what they found across the board, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. Now, is it to say that you can't buy in food? That's good. No, of course you can. But you generally speaking, have to be a bit more discerning if you're doing that, because you know, hidden salts, hidden, you know, food additives, all the rest of it, uh, preservatives, everything that's designed to keep food stable. That's really the problem. So when you're saying real wholesome foods, that's what we're talking about. You know, it's it's stuff that, you know, didn't have to have 10 million names on the label after, you know, if you read a label on something, like I say to people, if you're reading a label for bread, ideally it should just say like, you know, yeast, water, salt, flour, like there shouldn't be anything else in there. But when the list goes on and you start seeing e-numbers and, you know, things added to give it a caramelly color, that's that's when you should be concerned, you know.
0: I suppose one quick question is that when someone like, just say you've, someone's fallen pregnant, what's the protocol mm-hmm. then from obviously from, from the from that week one to week 12, mm-hmm. like through trimesters. And then I suppose another question is like, what's with all that then, this whole thing of eating for two, like how, how important is it once you fall pregnant then to, feed your baby like the good food rather than just eating for two stuff?
1: Great questions. So um, first thing I'd say is a lot of the time I see people, you know, when obviously they'll be trying to get pregnant, once they are pregnant, they're, they're totally concerned and freaking out because they're like, Jessica, I feel sick. I can't eat any of the normal salads I was eating or anything that's good for me. What am I going to do? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to destroy the pregnancy. No, the good news is that that feeling usually only lasts for the first trimester, give or take. Uh, some people are unluckier and you know that nausea which you know the morning sickness thing of course it's not morning it can be at any time of day the best way I've found to describe it having experienced it myself with my own pregnancies is that it's like being hungover (laughs) for about six weeks it's really fun you don't know what you want to eat but then you do and then you're craving it like crazy like give it to me now and then you eat it and you're like no that's not what I wanted Um, and then you might like you know regurgitate a glass of water you just drank you're not necessarily vomiting so it's, it's great crack altogether but once you get through that that phase um, usually once the placenta takes over things stabilize a bit with the hormones and you start to feel a bit better So what I say to people is don't panic too much about the first trimester. Sure. You know, going back uh, not that long ago, even a hundred years, a lot of the time we didn't even know we were pregnant. (laughs) So nature's smart. Nature had it that you'd be like, Hmm, I've missed three periods now. (laughs) Maybe I'm pregnant. So by the time a bump is starting to show and you're aware you're pregnant and that's when the placenta is taken over. Now at that point, that is when there is more of a crossover of nutrients from the mother to the baby. And that's of course why, If you were on any medication, you'd speak to your doctor you know, I see a lot of people concerned about what's a safe antidepressant to take or what's a safe antibiotic or anti-inflammatory. So that is the reasoning for that line of questioning is because things can cross over through the placenta at that point. So, but usually by that stage, you're feeling a lot better and feeling like, oh, I can actually eat a proper meal again um, without kind of running to the bathroom. So so that's the good news. In terms of action steps to take in the um, early stages, very important, obviously, to get your blood work done. And um, they will, of course, check for your iron. But I'm always going on about the vitamin D. And I know you're over in Australia. And funnily enough, they have quite a big vitamin D problem, I think, because of all the sunscreen. Yes. So it doesn't matter that you have all the sun. <laughs> so um, it is really important because vitamin D can play into miscarriage, preeclampsia risk, uh, risk of low birth weight, um, etc. Even I found a piece of research uh, played into the strength of your baby's grip after your baby's born, so it's incredible. So vitamin D is very important, as are obviously all the other nutrients, not just iron. Uh, So your B vitamins, you you know, that your B12 is where it should be, so you don't have pernicious anemia. So get all those things checked. Um, And then as to the calories, which you discussed, it's a bit of a misleading uh, phrase that you're eating for two. The the truer time where that applies is postnatal. If you choose to breastfeed, your calorie needs are about 500 extra per day, whereas during pregnancy, it's only about 200 calories extra in the second trimester and about 300 in the third trimester, unless you're pregnant with twins <laughs> or trying to breastfeed twins, in which case all bets are off. <laughs> and in those situations, I say to the partner, you feed her, she feeds the baby <laughs> or babies, because it's no joke.
0: <laughs> and I suppose when someone is birth in, what, what do you recommend for your clients or ever like when they give birth, then from obviously from the first like six weeks, how important mm-hmm. is it? Like obviously, if you're breastfeeding, your calories are up. What's the product? It's, it's
1: really important, and you know that's an area I'd love to see change and improve upon. I was um, speaking to a client last week. Actually, uh, she's in her postnatal uh, phase now after they've gone through the fertility struggles. And I said to her so tell me what happened at the two-week checkup and she's like yeah it was like you said like they didn't really care about me it was just like how's the baby and she said it was literally five-minute appointment and then the six-week checkup which she's due now this week I said well you know make sure that you're getting more blood work done and that they're checking things out because um now I'm obviously only mainly talking about Ireland here but I know it can be the same in other countries by comparison to say somewhere like France in terms of their healthcare. Where it's actually um, you're obliged to attend for these postnatal pelvic floor checkup visits and everything to make sure that you're not going to have problems with your pelvic floor or perineal area um, for future pregnancies, or that it won't affect your sex life or being having urinary incontinence, or indeed the other fecal incontinence, you know, fun. So they have it very much built in to take care of the mother as well, not just the baby. And I think in over here, we're not so good at that. We tend to kind of like, "Mm." like I've had women say to me that they're literally told, so how are you? Okay, Grant, And off you go. Like there's no doing blood work to see where you are postnatally so you don't develop post pregnancy. You know thyroid condition or any number of problems that can happen because you're kind of you're coming down like off a roller coaster like it's a big crash in hormones postnatally not to mention proper emotional support how are you feeling really you know that's why I one of the things I like about seeing people obviously trying to get pregnant is that I can see them throughout their pregnancy and afterwards so when they come to me postnatally you know I've, I've had that six week thing where they're just like oh I'm great everything's fine it's fine and like how are you really because particularly particularly for those who've tried to conceive for so long, they have this guilt thing of, I don't deserve to complain. You know, everything's roses. Everything's amazing. It's wonderful being a parent. Um, And then they tell me, God, it's so hard. I just, I don't know who I am anymore. Like it takes me three hours to leave the house. I don't even know like my identity because I was used to having a role with work and now I'm just stuck at home. And all of that plays into your overall health. The mental health plays into the physical health as well. Um, And I would love to see that if, I mean, maybe in my lifetime it'll happen, I'd love to see a proper package um that was offered like a suite of services that was offered um postnatally so it's like right your your doctor's gonna link up and do all your blood work you'll go to the specialized physio he'll check your pelvic floor you'll go to the nutritionist and make sure you've got a good plan in place so you're not so busy taking care of baby that you're just living on tea and toast (laughs) so yeah that's what i'd love to see
0: hopefully will happen um, at some stage but just before you kind of nip off there Mm -hmm. so like just say someone falls pregnant like there's when someone falls pregnant from just say week one, right into like nine months, mm-hmm. like there's no reason why they cannot keep on exercising. They cannot keep on, you know, doing what they're doing in their their whole health and journey, is there?
1: It is so beneficial. I mean, and I think sometimes uh, let's use even the word movement rather than exercise. Yeah. I think people have negative connotations sometimes with exercise. Now, what I often joke about, I remember giving talks for um, just a, a mum and baby shop uh, that's based in Ireland in the UK <laughs> recently. And uh, they, they were saying, um, oh, you know, talk all about this because obviously there are people interested. And one thing I would say is I'm not going to tell anybody that, oh, you're pregnant take up CrossFit. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, <laughs> if you, if you weren't doing it before you were pregnant, pregnancy is not the time to start it other than antenatal yoga, you know, where it's going to help you with your breathing and checking in with yourself and your stretching. Um, because there are a few things to be aware of when, when we're pregnant, you have more relaxing hormone in the body, which means that you're actually more prone to injury and overstretching or overdoing it. So you do have to be kind of a little bit careful um, because I remember that happening to me. It's like, oh, look how bendy I am (laughs) and you can hurt yourself. So you do need to be careful with that. Um, And that's where actually one of the things that Plays into this. Uh, I know it might seem unrelated to exercise, but I'd say to all those uh, who've just found out they're pregnant or during pregnancy, be very careful of high heels and wedges. <laughs> your ankle can go over very easily. Um, so try to stick to flats um, and give your arch support for when you're doing any kind of exercise. But there is no question, there's data in the research showing that the blood flow. So there's actually a friend of mine who's a doctor in the UK, and we we're having a chat about this. And he said um god it's really interesting nothing to do with bmi purely to do with the vasculature the behavior of the blood vessels that if you look at those who exercise while pregnant versus those that didn't they had very different functioning of blood flow uh blood flow obviously going to the abdomen um which is hugely important because that's serving the needs of your baby blood flow to the brain everywhere else so It's as important for mental health as it is for physical health. And there's no reason why it'd be unsafe to continue exercising. Obviously, if there's particular types of exercise that you want to try, make sure to clear it with your doctor, you know, before you do.
0: And obviously in the pelvic floor is a big area too, isn't
1: it? huge hugely important as as soon as anybody says that we automatically quietly squeeze our kegel as soon as you said it i was like so yeah the the um for women of course the the perineum um you know that band uh obviously between the entrance to the vagina and the anus is so important the pelvic muscles and girdle that whole thing is just what's holding everything in and up think of it like bungee cords and so if that is weakened um that can cause problems for you and that like I said earlier can really affect your sex life uh, subsequently and it's something that's not talked about enough and it really should be. Um, I had a woman I was dealing with last summer who um, was trying for her second baby But uh, they were going for IVF. Why? Because she hadn't been able to have sex since her firstborn. Such was the trauma she went through post-delivery in terms of healing, after an episiotomy, and there was scar tissue. And basically, nobody gave her proper attention. Um, And it left her feeling too much pain with intercourse. So, yeah, the whole area is really important. And that's why I'd recommend somebody seeing a skilled, specialized uh, physio who knows the area well and can give you the right support and exercises
0: well, that's amazing i suppose then just before probably good and what would be your three top tips for to anyone that's looking to conceive and just obviously have a healthy pregnancy what would be your three top tips
1: so let's go all encompassing here um so physical health obviously really important so just you know everyone knows themselves like are you on an even keel like are you Getting in the right food, and are you getting out, getting some fresh air and light? It's not just about exercise. I mean, you know, you could be exercising in a dank, dark gym, and I don't think that'd be great for your health. (laughs) So it is important to have the balance there. So the physical health, the emotional health, make sure that you're in the right headspace. Somebody, you know, I dealt with a woman before who'd had you know, her father was dying of Parkinson's and they were trying to move house and she had a project on and work. And I'm like, you are frazzled. You're not in the right headspace to be doing this just yet. So try to make space. Um, And then third thing, get the right information. Information is key. There's nothing worse than feeling like you're flailing around in the dark. You want to have focus and direction. So uh, better to act on good information than have to look for it later.
0: That's amazing. That's uh, amazing. So I suppose before we go, where can people find you?
1: Uh, on Instagram at the thefertilitydetective.ie or jessicaburk.com. That's B-O-U-R-K-E.
0: That's amazing. No, it's great to have you on. It's just, I'll listen back tomorrow. It was such a good conversation. There's a lot of stuff there. So you'll have to do no it no again no, You're so
1: welcome. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you so much. Amazing stuff.
0: Thank you. Take
1: care.